0: Over the last few weeks, we've opened up our new theme for the year, Lace Them Up. And we've been looking at this race that's been marked out for us. As we have noticed and seen that God has a race individually for us that we're supposed to run. We've also saw how difficult it can be and that it's hazardous to our, our life. And it should be if we're going to run the race like Jesus, where he faced death, even death on a cross, And the truth is this, as we mark out this race, as we run this race, unbelief will stop us in our tracks. It just does, it will. In our world today, it's the Super Bowl, and most of us will spend some time, some of us will be watching the game and we'll be rooting for a team. Um, Some of us won't be rooting for anybody, and some of us will be rooting against a team because we don't like someone, and some of us will be rooting for a team, and that's a message for another day. In our world, we don't like people who win. Honestly, I, I don't know why. Like, and truthfully, like, there was a time in America where we supported people who were successful that won. And that's uh, another message for another day. But we'd love to criticize and knock down anyone that somehow is used in a special way. But today, there will be a Super Bowl that's being played. And you'll either root in some form or fashion, you'll root for the Rams or you'll root for the Patriots. Suppose in this game today that it comes down to the end of the game, and I'm not trying to be prophetic here, but just suppose it comes down to the end of the game and the Rams have the ball and they're down two points and it's three seconds left in the game and they need to kick a field goal. So the Rams coach, McVay calls timeout and pulls his team to the side and he looks for the kicker and He motions for the kicker, and by the way, I think the kickers get a bad rap when it comes to football. I think they're some of the bravest and most courageous players on the team. It takes a lot of guts to walk out in front of everyone and kick a field goal, and I've never seen a kicker shake his head no. Uh, He just just walks out to make that kick. I think they get a bad rap. I really do, by the way. But suppose in this instance that the Rams are down two, and it's Super Bowl today, and it's 9 o'clock at night or 9.30, and if... The kicker needs to make the kick, and if he makes the kick, they win the Super Bowl. And all throughout the game, if you're a Rams fan, you've been cheering, you've been supporting. Like, you might even had your Ram horns on, you might have had your colors on, and all through the game, you were in support for your team. In fact, the kicker walks out, and you're like, I believe, we believe, we believe he can kick it. Everyone believe the Rams can do it? Yeah! And all over this stadium are Ram fans who believe that somehow that this kicker can kick, and we can win the game. And they're all up in the stands cheering on, and they're in their front rooms all across the world watching this game. And they're excited because they believe they can win, and they believe in their kicker. And, and so as they're watching this, Coach McVay calls another timeout because he has another timeout. And, and then he walks up in the stands, McVay, picks up the ball, and he runs to the Rams' side, And he's looking for a Ram fan that was so believing in their team and the kicker. And he looks out across and he says, Who wants to kick now? Do you believe? Do you believe you can? So he comes to Travis and he hands him the ball and says, Travis, do you still believe? I believe. You believe? I'll give it my best shot. You'll give it your best shot. And he hands you the ball. And so he walks over to Lily and Lily, do you do you still believe now? That you still believe? And so all through this stadium are Ram fans. The coach is walking through. He's looking for someone. It it gets awful quiet because some of now the fans are out there who once believed that we could win, who once believed that the kick could be made, now are curling in unbelief because they're no longer certain that somehow they can do it. A long time ago, when you were born, as you began this journey you came to know Christ and when you came to know Christ as your Lord and Savior Jesus handed you the ball he says you believe you can run this race do you believe that you can face adversity and overcome in my power do you believe and the reality is some of us, even though we know that God lives in us, and even though we know that He has this race charted out for us, and He He promises to go with us, and He will be with us the whole race when it comes time for game day. When it comes time for that situation that, that it's challenging, we have a choice to make. Will we take the ball that God has given us and kick the kick and win? the game. You see, it's real easy to believe. You just spent, and I just spent time in worship. It was my second service. And we worshiped our God. Yeah, God, you're awesome. God, you're great. We believe in you, God. We're, we're, we're Christ followers. You know, we, we, we can do this. But when push comes to shove and you're faced with reality, are you ready to take the ball, tee it up, And kick the kick. Or will unbelief cause you to retreat in fear? Ask yourself that question. Are you ready for the race? Or are you retreating in unbelief? Jesus goes back to his own hometown. Where he was born. Stands with his own siblings right beside him he is from the town they knew him they remembered him in high school they saw him grow up he goes back to his own hometown and they refuse to believe in him grab your bibles and i will show you turn to mark chapter 6 mark chapter 6 if you need a bible hold your hand up i sure so well put one in your hand but turn to mark chapter 6 jesus He's going back to his own hometown. He's the son of God. He's been preaching and performing miracles. And and so he decides to go back to his town. And he wants to preach there. And this takes place. Stand with me if you would please. And let's read Mark chapter 6 verses 1 to 6. Let's just see what happened to those who knew him best. Who watched him grow up. His own siblings who slept in the same house. who, Who watched him work in the carpenter shop. How do they respond to Jesus? Let's just, let's just read. Mark chapter 6, let's read verses 1 to 6. Would you read with me? Ready, read. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? And they asked, what's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. me have a seat. I want you to begin with this up, and just let it rattle around in your brain a while. Unbelief is as powerful as belief is. You see, you're either believing or you're not believing. Unbelief is just as powerful. You can look at a situation, you can look at your God and say, say, I believe that we can get through this, or I choose not to believe. It takes just as much unbelief as it does belief in something. So you and I have a choice to make every day. Either we choose to believe with God that we're capable of, or we choose to believe with God we're incapable of. It takes just as much belief as it does unbelief. So every time we face something in this journey, this race, that we've laced them up for this year, no matter what you encounter, you have a choice to make. I will believe or I will choose not to believe. And it takes just as much one side or the other. Think about that for a second. The person you are today and long to be is directly impacted by what you believe. Unbelief is a powerful force. Think about it. Just just think about humankind, mankind. Look how unbelief has impacted eternity. Eve and Adam exercised unbelief in the garden with what God said. And mankind, think about it. They chose not to believe that he was fully giving them the truth. They chose not to believe in what he instructed them. And mankind has been cursed with sin. Why? They had a choice to, to believe or not believe. And mankind has been cursed with sin. Noah, he preached righteousness. And the world rejected it. And all of mankind has been drowned and doomed in a flood. Why? Because of unbelief in the message of righteousness that Moses, or Noah was preaching. Unbelief doomed just about all mankind except for Noah's family to an eternity in a flood where they lost their lives. Think about just all through the Bible. Moses and his people exercised unbelief and never entered the promised land. Have you ever thought about that? It was a land that was promised to them. God said, I promise to give you that land. And God never reneges on his promises. And you know why they didn't get to the promised land? Because they didn't believe So they were doomed because of that. Think about it this way. Faith moves mountain, unbelief builds them. So as you're walking through this journey this year, faith moves the mountain, unbelief builds them. Yesterday I was headed to our son's house, and he lives on County Road 40, just east of of 15. And the road to his house, as I was ready to turn, there was a sign that said this, road closed. And I was like, why is Forty closed? And I looked above and where the railroad tracks are, they had put these concrete barriers there so you couldn't drive through the barrier to go over the railroad tracks to get to his house. And so it was just interesting. Like, just, They just decided, blocked the road, you have to find another way around now to get to his home. There's a road closed sign. And as I was ready to get on this road that I'd normally get on, this thought occurred to me. How many times in life do you and I pull out the road closed in our lane? Like, oh, this is too difficult, too hard. I have unbelief. Bam. Every time we choose not to believe, we build a mountain, we put a road closed. And I wonder, how often do we, do we default out of fear? Out of an unbelief of knowing who we are in Christ? How often do we just put out road closed and then we retreat? What do we do? Boy, it's hard. It's difficult. We can never get over there. There's not another way. There, it's too, too too much for us. And so we have a choice to make. Either we'll believe that we can overcome or we will choose to not believe and we'll put a road close sign. Every day, every minute of our days, we have choices to make with our minds. John 3.16 is cl- clear too. It reminds us that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have ever lasting life, Unbelief catapults people into eternity of hell with divine wrath and judgment if we choose not to believe that Jesus was the son of God, was raised from the dead, and lives again. Look at verse 6. It's a fascinating verse, and every time I read this, I pray, oh Lord, please, may we never be these people. Jesus goes to talk And as he gets to the end of this dialogue, the end of this time with his own hometown, his own homegrown people, he says this. He was amazed at their lack of what? I don't know if you know this, but there's only two times in the Bible that Jesus was amazed or astonished. Only two times in the Bible. One time, he was astonished or amazed at the centurion's faith. The only other time that Jesus was amazed or astonished, is right here. And he's amazed at their lack of faith. He was amazed that, that they could not believe that he was the son of God. He can't believe how hard-hearted they were in light of such powerful revelation that he was speaking. So what does this have to do with the race marked out in front of us, you might be asking? It has everything to do with how Well, you run the race and what reasons you run the race for and whether or not you will retreat. Many in this room believe this. You don't need to raise your hand. You already believe this lie about something in your life. And here's how it goes. You say this, I can't change. You've even convinced some of your loved ones around you that you can't change. And you've even convinced yourself that there are other people in your life that can't change. We have unbelief in ourselves and others. And think for a second how that was true of the people of Jesus' hometown. Their muscle memory kicked in. And now... They just remember Jesus. Well, I I remember Jesus when I grew up. I remember him when he was a young boy. I remember when he was in the carpentry shop. How in the world can someone from this town who was just a common folk like the rest of these become the son of God? They had a choice to make to either believe in Jesus or not believe in him. You see, our muscle memory kicks in. A new action multiple times can change an old habit. One of the best ways for you and me personally one of the best ways to change a habit or to change your thoughts, obviously, is replace it with God's word to capture it, but one of the best ways is to spend some time fasting. I, I encourage you, throughout the year, fast a meal, fast two meals, fast a breakfast, fast for 24 hours, fast for 48 hours, but what happens is in that fasting time, you, you, you find out where your muscle memory goes to. You find out that when you wake up in the morning, you have to have coffee. You find out... That you have to have this for lunch. You find out that you need to eat this. You find out that you spend time doing things that are mastering you instead of you just deciding to take control. You're allowing this muscle memory to kick in, and we have muscle memory. I can't change. I've did this before. The last time I tried it, we failed. So I'm not going to. It hurt the last time. Last marriage, it ended this way. So I'll never try again. My son did this the last time he tried it, so we're not going to let him again. And so God, we ran this journey with you before, and this mountain came, and. We We retreat it, I'll retreat. It hurts, so we have this muscle memory. We need to renew our muscle memory. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 10.5. So we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The best way I can give you an analogy is this. Think of a wrestler. He has an opponent. The opponent is a thought that comes from the enemy. And it's a lie. You need to take that thought, you need to wrestle it, put them in a full Nelson, flip them over, and pin them to the ground. One, two, three. You need to grab that thought. You need to grab a hold of it. You need to wrestle it to the ground, and you just say, no, in Jesus' name and his word, this is who I am. Bam, 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 bam. That's what we have to do. All day long, you've got to wrestle these thoughts. You've got to capture them and replace them with God's word. All day long, replace the thoughts. Grab it and say no. Grab it and say no, not this time. Grab it and say no, I will not believe this about me or my God. So, What are some of the things you believe? Well, both of my parents are heavy, so I will always struggle with my weight. It's a lie that you believe. I'm not good with money, so I, will, I know I'll end up in debt. It's a lie that you believe. Nicotine controls me, and I tried to get help before, and it didn't work before, and I tried patches, and I, I tried going to therapy, and I tried counseling, and it didn't work before, so I just give up. I can never. I'm just going to put a road closed in my walk with God. This, nicotine, alcohol. I've tried before. I, I went to this home and tried to get help, and I'm back at it again. I will just always, always, always drink alcohol. I just got to learn to adjust. Bam, row close. You need to speak to yourself in those times. In the power and authority of Jesus, we can overcome. You see, 2 Timothy 1.7 says this. Paul was looking at young Timothy, who was a, this up-and-coming pastor, and he said this. Timothy? God has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity. Grace community, God has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but a power, a strong a power and love and self-control. We need to live up to our redemptive potential. So here's the deal for this year, this race, Mark Down. I'm not good at what? Fill in the blank. So last time I tried, God, with this, I wasn't able to do it. So you need to speak truth. You need to wrestle those lies from the enemy that you're incapable of doing it. It's amazing. As I think back over the polar vortex that we went through this past week, I often think, what if our early explorers, what if the early explorers who explored America would have said, it was too cold? You'll shoot your eye out, your corneas will fall out. You'll frostbite your nose and your ears off. Just sit here around the fire. What if they believed that somehow they couldn't overcome this obstacle? What if they believed to just sit back and retreat from where God was asking them to go? What if they chose to say, It's too cold, it's too hard? By the way, I won't go any farther, but I was going nuts this week. I walked outside to blow some bubbles and had people say, Put your hat on, you're going to die. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. Praise Him for that filter. Praise God. Seriously, like, I went out and ran 18 degrees below zero. I didn't die. Praise God. You can dress warmly and use wisdom. But another thing, how often have I heard this through the years? Like, well, all the other churches this week, all the other churches are doing that. So, like, so I'm going to base decisions, and we as a leadership team are going to base decisions on how everyone else does it. Yes, use wisdom of thing. If we would do that, then we would never be the church Christ wanted us to be today. Amen. We're just like everyone else. You see, it's so easy to retreat because of fear. It's so easy to say it's too hard, it's too difficult. Instead of saying, Lord, with you and wisdom, we can do this. Many retreat when any kind of fear pops up on the radar screen. So Jesus is standing in front of his own. And he can't believe, he's amazed, astonished at their lack of faith. I often wonder this. If God would walk into my home, into our children's home, into your home, or he walked in here today in flesh and blood and he just walked. Believe, unbelief, believe, oh my, unbelief. Believe, unbelief, oh, unbelief, ble- what would he, what did he say about you? Do you rattle in fear? Are you really running or have you put the road closed because you're afraid? Or do you have a spirit that, that, of boldness and power and self-control and love and not timidity and fear? You see, we need to capture the thought that says you can't do it and say, I am who God says I am, not who I think I am. We are convinced we will always be negative. Negative. How many times do you have someone? Yeah, it's just how my parents have always been negative, And, you know, I, I, I'm always negative, And, you know, it's really a battle for me. And so I'll always be negative. <laughs> Muscle memory. Chain. Start looking at the world through God's lenses, through his word. Or I'll never be able to get in physical shape. You won't with road closed signs. Or we can never find breakthrough without that Addiction. You see, the greatest danger to unbelief, we are convinced we can't change, and it's too hard to do so. The hardest kind of learning, hear me out, Grace, is unlearning. How many things have you learned that you believe that's tradition? And like, well, this is what I learned when I was little. This is what I was taught, so this is what I will always do. This is what I learned when I lived there. This is what I learned in school. This is what I learned. This is what I learned. And so some of these learning behaviors, learned behaviors they have, we need to unlearn and run them through the grid of the Bible and see that with Christ, all things are possible to them that love him. Here's what I know about this account in Mark chapter 6. Familiarity can breed unbelief. Look at this passage. Look at verse 3. Jesus is standing in front of people that know him. Look at their response in verse 3. They ask this question. Isn't this the carpenter? Like, he shouldn't be talking with this authority. Isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of James? Like, you know, James, come on. Joseph? Isn't this the brother of Judas and Simon? Aren't, like, his sisters standing here with us? And they took offense at him. In other words, he's nothing special. He could never, like, nothing good could come from that family. Isn't it interesting, though? You know why I believe they called him, isn't this the son of Mary? Two reasons. One, his father, his physical father, could have died. But I personally believe the reason they called him the son of Mary is because they thought he was an illegitimate child. They thought he was born out of wedlock. They didn't dare think he was the son of God. And so as a measure of disrespect to Jesus, they said, isn't this the son of Mary? Like how could he speak with such power? Like he's not the son of God. Like, there's his brothers, his sisters are here, they're nothing special. His dad had a carpenter shop, all he knows how to do is hammer nails, and he's trying to tell us and speak with authority. Why should we trust him? Or better yet, don't we do the same thing? Here's how it goes. You come into church one Sunday and you haven't seen someone... One of the things I love about this community is you get to grow up together and you come back and work here and live here. I think it's beautiful, by the way. I love seeing the generations be able to worship together, grandparents and grandkids and great grandkids. I I tell my friends and colleagues, I say, man, where I live, people, they actually live and stay here and then they they go to church together and they love going to church. And they're like, what? I I love it, man. It's just beautiful. But here's what we do. Because you'll come into church one Sunday and then you haven't seen this high school person in 30, 20, 40 years. And you see him in church one Sunday and you think, whoa, what's he doing here? I used to smoke weed with him in high school. (laughs) Like, we shouldn't listen to him, should we? Don't we do that? Like, somehow we freeze them in the past. Like, somehow they can't be, like, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And somehow they're like, they're like 58 years old, and in your mind they're 14, they're out back. <laughs> That's what these family members are doing. It's like, Jesus? Don't you know what James used to do? His sisters? Are you t- kidding me? Nothing good can come from that. Huh? We know carpenter daughters. We know what they're like. I mean, we do it all the time, and you think, or... or, or I used to work with them. When I work with them, pfft, they had the worst work ethic in the world. I wouldn't hire them. 30 years later, you won't hire them because maybe, maybe they cut out a day early. We freeze people in the fast, past. We remember the past, and we don't believe that somehow that God can shape them and change them. Or she was my teammate in college, or he was part of the fraternity. <laughs> Do you remember him? Woo! You think Animal House was bad? You see him? Or that family, nothing good come from that family. They've always struggled with their kids. In fact, a couple of their kids are incarcerated. There's no good to come from that family. Or they're from the other side of the tracks, you know, north of Goshen, north of Middlebury, and north of New Paris. They're from New Paris, for crying out loud. Nothing good could come from there. Or, they're a bunch of hillbillies. How in the world could God use them? Praise God for hillbillies. Right here. Or they're just city slickers. They don't want to get their hands dirty. They won't go to foreign country. We do it all the time. We have this muscle memory. We need to replace those thoughts and realize... When you come to Jesus, you're a different man and woman, and you can walk in the redeemed power of Jesus Christ. Amen? And Jesus is amazed. He's like, Are you kidding me? You won't listen to me because of the lineage of my family, and you believe because of them that nothing good could come from me. You see our hometown? Our birth name, our past, our failures, our history should never keep us from running the race well with Jesus Christ. Never. You see, Satan knows if he can control your thoughts, he can control your future. They could not believe anything good could come from Jesus. In fact, turn back to Mark chapter 3. It's not the first time. Look at Mark chapter 3 and verse 20. Jesus is having this encounter and he's walking in and he's about ready to speak and he's been out healing on the Sabbath and the crowds are following him and then he appoints the 12 disciples to help do the ministry and then it says this in in, in, in verse 20. Look at verse 20. It says, Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard of this, look at that, when his family heard of this, when his bros and sisters heard of it, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his what? The Greek word, they said, he is a mad man, don't paint, it's just, he's lost it, so, We'll take charge of him. He's not who he said. We were raised with him. His own family called him a madman. Keep in mind here, as best as we know, none of his own siblings believed in him till after the resurrection. Sometimes we lose sight of that. It's not until Acts that you see his own siblings coming to Christ. So for his whole life, clean up till post resurrection, his own family, didn't recognize him. I would say only Mary did. So he even had to live with this as he was growing up in, 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 in some way. They just remembered him as a carpenter and a brother that got special treatment from the mom. He was the fave. And they didn't like it. See, he had no large crowds even in his own hometown. They had no interest in him. His family had convinced everyone, hate. Hey, we heard Jesus coming. He's doing miracles. Ah, he's my brother. He's a madman. They couldn't understand that somehow he was the son of God. You see, sometimes we believe only the out-of-town experts know what they're talking about. Don't we? Like, oh, yeah, they're experts. They got a podcast. They know more than we do. Um, My mom filled with the Holy Spirit or my dad filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't know near as much as that person filled with the Holy Spirit that's got a show on TV. My mom and my dad filled with the Holy Spirit and my brother filled with the Holy Spirit and my sister filled with the Holy Spirit who is speaking after reading the word of God. We we don't need to listen to her. I remember playing King of the Hill with her. We had an easy bake oven together. She doesn't know anything. Listen to Francis Chan. He knows. We forget about the priesthood of believers and the same spirit that lives in these podcasts and platform people. It's the same spirit that can live in a five-year-old who knows Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. So you have this group, this family. It's like, well, get the expert. Like, bring the expert in. This hometown boy, he doesn't know what he's talking about. You see, we get locked into these prisons of unbelief, and we think things will never change. It's like these invisible electric fences we place at the perimeter of our yards for dogs. Some of you have those. Praise God. I'm so thankful for those. You have those on golf courses. I love them. Like, those electric fences that you can't see, and it just says invisible. I often wonder, how high up does it go? My ball's on the other side. Do I have to jump over top to get it? Um, I've jumped a few of them. But anyhow, the, the, I was, I was running at Benton Spillway this week, and right beside Benton Spillway is a house where my wife and I run, and many of you run, and there are two big dogs. They don't know how mean they really can be. And so every time we park in the parking lot, they start, but they run, and they come after you. And they're coming. It's like Old Yeller. You remember that one from Disney? Some of you don't even know what I just said, but some of you do just. And then they stop, they have to stop right at the the invisible fence. It's so awesome. Because I just go <laughs> and they bark just because somewhere along this path, they felt pain when they stepped out of the side of their box, their perimeter, their yard. And something went into their muscle memory that's don't go there, it hurts. You can't run any farther. If you run any farther, it's going. So they stop. I kid you not this week. I go to Benton Spillway and there's this big white Siberian maniac dog. (laughs) It's sitting outside beside their driveway on the other side of this electric invisible fence. And I'm like, whoa, this might not be good. Barking. I didn't go like this to him to that day. But he just sat there. I was thinking. And I kid you not, he had worn a spot out in the snow where his butt just like set right down. And I was saying, dude, you're free to run. You could bite me. It's your chance. It's me. Don't you remember me? Stoke sat there. Why did he sit there? Because something in his muscle memory says, if I go any further, I'm going to get... But he was free to run. He had got outside of the pain of the, of the, of the mountain, of the threshold of, of obstacle that was placed in front of him, but he chose to, to run the race. And once he found freedom, he said... "Oh." something might happen to me. So I'll choose to sit in my lane. Oh, I'm afraid. And I'm thinking, dog, run! But don't we do the same thing? Something hurt us in our past and last time we fell down, it really hurt. Boy, last time I was vulnerable in my relationship with my husband or wife, it hurt. Boy, the last time I tried that, I failed I got scars, and for that relationship in the past, that teacher, that coach, and I'm not going to sign up for that team again because that last coach told me I was a failure. They never gave me a chance, so why even try? So we have all these muscle memories, invisible fences, and for most of us, we run this far and we stop. And then for some of us, every once in a while, we get this moment. I want to try it. And we step out, and it's like, I didn't get hurt. I better sit right here. This is far enough. And God is saying, get back up and run. You're free to run. You're free to be who I made you to be. So here's what's happened. Some of you are locked in prisons of unbelief, and we think things won't ever change. Well, this happened before, so if I do the same thing again, it's going to happen again. That means this: Listen to me. If God is for you and God is with you, who can stand against you? It's like these electrical fences are everywhere. We grow so accustomed to our condition and we focus on, listen to me, we focus on all the reasons we would never finish the race instead of all the reasons we can finish the race. So here's the reality this is true. Hear me out. Full thought. If you believe you can't change, you're partially right. You can't change. Your strength is limited. My strength is limited. Your willpower isn't bottomless. Your determination will eventually run dry. That's why to change, you need the power of the one who can change you, Jesus Christ. He can do it for you. You see, when we begin to reject the power of Jesus like they did here in Mark chapter 6 and deny his teaching, hear me out. When we begin to deny that he's the son of God, that he was raised from the dead, we begin to let unbelief be our guiding factor. And what happened to humanity? They were cursed from the garden with sin. Noah and, and only people saved were his family. All of mankind was died in a flood. Moses never got to the promised land. And God has promised laying for you and me at the end of this journey and some of us won't make it tomorrow or the next day because we believe a lie and the moment we begin to unbelieve jesus and his teachings the bible becomes all gray and what happens when it comes all gray we begin to determine what truth is instead of what jesus says truth is and the moment that we begin to become truth We choose and pick what we think we should do, and we fall way short of where God wants us to be. And here's what happens. We begin believing the wrong things. Instead of believing the truth and things like this, we begin to believe other things. Because we have become the center of truth. Instead of believing that what God has written is inerrant and infallible, We don't believe truths like this, that abortion is murder, that Jesus is coming again, that sex before marriage is okay, that there is a real place called heaven and hell, that we will all stand before God one day, that gossip and slander is sin. That homosexuality is sin. That we are more than conquerors. That with Christ all things are possible. That Jesus rose from the dead. That God created the heavens and the earth. That husbands are to be tender spiritual leaders. That children should obey their parents in the Lord. That the marriage bed should be kept pure. That Jesus can still do miraculous things in our lives. That the only real hope to all the world's problems is Jesus. You see, when we begin to unbelieve... All the Bible becomes gray. Please, bust through those invisible fences. Say, God, you handed me the ball. I'm going to run this race. I'm going to kick this ball, and I will not retreat in fear. With you, all things are possible. Here's what I know to be true, too. Because Jesus was strong for me, I'm free to be weak. Hear me out. It's okay to be weak, because when I'm weak, Christ is strong. Hear me out. Because Jesus was someone, I'm free to be no one. It's, It's okay. Because Jesus was extraordinary, I'm free to just be ordinary. Because Jesus succeeded for me, I'm free to fail, and you are too. It's okay to fall down, but we don't stay down. We get back up. We don't let that pain file from the past, what that coach said to us, what that teacher said to us, what I was like in high school, what that former marriage was like, what that former husband was like, what that former person was like. We, we get back up and we believe that God still has a race marked out and I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. We got to talk to ourselves instead of listen to ourselves. Because Jesus won for me I'm even free to lose. Listen, you don't always win, but you learn from your losses. Because Jesus is for me, I can change. But here's the problem. Please, if we get this down, Grace Community, watch out, world. We let our past experiences shape our future. We end up in a stronghold when we do that. Unbelief will stop you in your lane. I marvel that Jesus is speaking here, and they don't believe in him. But listen, aren't we just as guilty? (laughs) Like some of us ask, how can they not believe? Well, do you? How often does your unbelief surface? Well, I can never overcome this, and this was too difficult in my past, and I'll never be able to overcome this hardship. I'll never be able to come this death. I'll never be able to overcome what happened to me and my, my girls, and or happened to me and my boys. I'll never will never be able to. And so you keep letting this thing, this experience, cause you to put the stop sign, the dead end sign in the middle of the and Jesus is saying, get back up. I got your back. Or How many times have you and I heard this? I tried it before and I just can't, so I'm not going to do it again. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too tired. I'm too dumb. I'm too ugly. Pastor Jim, you don't understand. I don't need to understand. Jesus does. Or that's just the way I'm wired. If I hear that one more time, you're rewired when you come to Christ. (laughs) Or, I can't wait any longer. Please, enough. Let's can the excuses in 2019. Unbelief often stems from a poor view of identity. Unbelief blurs the obvious. And it did here to this group. In this account, they can't believe it's Jesus. And he could speak with such wisdom. We often miss the moment and even the miracle because we're still trying to fend why all this couldn't be true. Unbelief points us to the irrelevant. Like they're saying, isn't this the carpenter's son? Aren't his brothers James and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? All the while, God is saying, I'm here. What do you need? Unbelief shoots the messenger. They took offense at him, and it's the Greek word scandalized, which means they were scandalized by him when they took offense because he spoke with authority, and all they remembered him was, he's just the carpenter's son. Unbelief thwarts the supernatural. Hear me out, this is important. How foolish this is. We have access to the living God in us to help us run the race, yet we don't give him a chance to do so. So we choose to wallow in self-pity in a cycle of insanity of unbelief, and we're like that dog on County Road 31 that sat in the snow because it believed that it didn't belong there, that it believed if it took another step, that might be the step that would hurt him. And it had all the freedom, and it had the ability to run freely. You'll shut down the supernatural in your life if you choose not to believe in the power of the one who is the supernatural God. You see, if we choose not to believe that we can run the race he has set before us, then we choose to deny the power of God that's working in us. One of the best illustrations I've ever read was years ago in regards to the power of God working in us. And so as we run this race, Craig Rochelle told this true story in his life. And I want you to just grab the truths from this story. He said, one time I was at the gym with my longtime friend and workout partner, John. We were exercising our chest muscles. And at the end of our workout, we decided to do a burnout set of bench presses to exhaust our already fatigued muscles. We put a very low weight on a long bar and lay down on a bench. I went first. I pushed the bar up easily off my chest before letting it drop slowly down. Because it was such low weight, I was able to lift a quick 20 reps. What started easy quickly became more difficult. As I strained to continue, John gently grabbed the bar to support it. As he cheered me on each time I managed to thrust the bar successfully off my chest, he would yell, Come on, Grosch! Come on, Grosch! It's all you, he shouted, encouraging me to continue. When the weight became too much for my exhausted pectorals, John grabbed the bar with both hands. Standing over my body, he held a portion of the weight, still allowing me to work lifting about half the weight for me. John continued to shout, Keep going! Don't stop! It's all you! Each time I pushed a little more strength left my body. And John carried a little more weight for me. As he continued to cheer me on, he kept saying, It's all you! It's all you, man! Exhausted, I finally let go of the bar. John didn't notice he continued lifting the bar for about five more reps, still shouting, it's all you, it's all you. When he looked down and saw me smiling up at him, we both started laughing. Good set, Grosh, good burn, you're the man. And then Groshelle goes on to say this. Change won't just take all the strength you have. It will take more. You need God's power. Do what you can and trust God to do what you can't. We change by his power and not our power. You have a choice to make and I have a choice to make. God's already handed you the ball. It's game day. Every single day you wake up. Either you believe, you can kick the ball, Or you end up like the dog on County Road 31 in unbelief. And God wants you to run in freedom and be the person he designed you to be. And you know how we can? By his power. Oh, God, help us today. Lord, all across this room are people who are looking at 2019, and throughout this message, all kinds of fears surfaced. Thoughts like, well, you don't know, you don't understand. It was hard, it was difficult, it's challenging, it's, I want to pull away, and I have a pain file, and, and all these thoughts. Oh, God, I pray that we would take those thoughts captive, and that we would pin them to the ground and replace them with the word of truth, which is your word. God, we believe. The only way we can overcome is we believe in your power. We believe in the resurrection. We believe, God, that you were raised from the dead. And we believe, God, by your stripes we are healed. So, God, I pray that, that, our, that our muscle memory of fear and unbelief will be replaced by power and love and self-control and belief in the one who overcame death who went to the cross and was resurrected, and he will come again and take us to be with him. And eventually one day, we as believers will rule with him forever. May we, God, have that spirit in 2019. Why? Because we believe. God, as we sing this song, I pray that it's more than just words. I pray from the bottoms of our toes to the tops of our heads will be a declaration that we believe the truths of this song. And we stand on your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.